Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice San Diego, and I'm joined, as always, by managing editor Andrew Keats. Scott, how are we doing, bud? Pretty well, thank you. And fellow managing editor Andrea Lopez Villafaña, hello. Hello. Coming up on the show today, we've got an update on Congressman Scott Peters and the big deal that he was standing in the way of, and now apparently facilitating in Congress, and uh, we will explain where that is. And we dropped a big story this week. High-profile officials are distancing themselves from the San Diego-based nonprofit group that purports to assist trafficking victims. It's called Saved in America. The group has gotten local taxpayer dollars, but the number of people asking for it to remove their names as supporters is kind of wild. And it's going to make their fundraising gala this week a little awkward. We'll explain. And finally, Andrea and our environment reporter, Mackenzie Elmer, had a conversation about what Mackenzie discovered about cancer-causing toxins in San Diego. That's all coming up. Stay with us. But first, it was Dia de los Muertos this week. I asked my daughter who she would look forward to remembering. She said, uh, my grandma and our, our long-departed dog. Aww. And it made me really tear up. <laughs> uh, it's a beloved Mexican tradition. There was uh, our own uh, photographer, uh, Adriana Heldes, was in Sherman Heights at the Sherman Heights Community Center for their annual candlelight procession, right? Uh, great photos from that. You can check that out at voicesandiego.org of the altars and such that are put up. They're beautiful displays. Uh, uh, Andrea, there was one display that caught your attention this week from the uh, head of the free world. What was that? <laughs> the White House. Yes. <laughs> well, okay. So I'm a little conflicted and I'm curious like what other people think. And I was going to tweet it and then it got really busy and then I forgot. And now it's been like a day. And who Save cares? all the content you can for the <laughs> pot. That's right. Um, 
But so it wasn't the White House um, English Twitter account. It was their Spanish one. And they tweeted out, you know, like uh, Kamala and um, Biden are celebrating Dia de los Muertos and this is their altar. And at first I saw the tweet and I was like, wow, like it's really beautiful. And I felt really represented and, you know, like I felt really warm and sweet inside. But then I looked at the picture and, you know, the whole thing with Dia de los Muertos is to honor people that you love that passed away. And by doing that, you put photos of them. Mm -hmm. And and um, in the tradition, the idea is that by putting a photo of them and putting like their favorite uh, food. Sometimes people put out like beer or like a, their favorite drink or something. Mm-hmm. Um, by doing that, then you kind of get their souls to come back and visit you on this day. Uh, so <laughs> this altar had like no pictures mm-hmm. of anyone, uh, which I'm sure they had some people that they lost that they could have included. Joe Biden's whole damn life that's has his, been defined that's by his entire story. His yeah. entire political story is the death of everyone he's loved. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, with the altar was like, you know, and as I looked closely, it just kind of felt like a bunch of Mexican looking things thrown together. And then there was like a big picture of the Virgin Mary at the center, which was just weird. And, you know, I started feeling that way, like, wait a minute. Then randomly there's like a Loteria game and it was just weird. So I, I was like, I, oh I'm my sorry, God. A, a lottery ticket no uh loteria game it's like a mexican bingo so oh, right. it was like an actual card um so i was like okay i'm sure i'm not the only person feeling this way so then i went through the comments and sure enough everybody was like cool thanks for the representation <laughs> but like you didn't uh, do you didn't holiday. do it right like do your research kind of and so i don't know i mean you know, part of me is like, wow, that was cool that they did that. But the other part of me is like, it's a little lazy. You could have Google searched. It's almost like they're like, we got to get some Mexican stuff. To <laughs> yeah, put yeah. And they didn't tweet it out from their their normal Twitter account. They just tweeted out in their Spanish account, which just felt even more like they're trying to relate to us, but don't really know how. I don't know. It's a beautiful tradition. It means a lot to a lot of people. So it would have been nice to see them actually... Um, actually embrace it by actually including photos of people they've lost. No, it seems very much like they couldn't have put less effort into it. Yeah. Did you see the LA Times one? That was pretty cool. The digital one? Yeah. Yeah, that was super cool. Like, you know, and and they did it and and it's a lot of people included photos that maybe would have never done something like that. A little effort. Maybe next year we'll get something. Yeah, maybe next year we get it right. I, I do really think, though, like Joe Biden, of of all people who could make it a meaningful event about – I mean, I'm sure everyone has lost somebody that they love. Oh, sure. So I don't, he I don't, could have especially – I mean, that's that's yeah. the thing he's he's known for is being able to empathize and express sorrow with folks who are who are, are grieving right. for what they've what they've dealt with. And uh, that would have been he, – he seems like he would be perfect to grok what was going on. And, if and somebody the, and, helped him, and understand. therefore the fact that they did so little actually <laughs> seems even worse than it might otherwise seem. Like yeah. he, like they right. really didn't embrace the tradition at all. Yeah, because yeah. that, that's the thing, right? You didn't embrace the tradition. You yeah. kind of just set it up, posted it, and, and you know, I'm, we're it doesn't done. even sound like it's fair to say it, like <laughs> mailing it in. It's like they didn't, yeah. they didn't even, they just. <laughs> Kind of pulled out the envelope and the stamp and <laughs> kind of left it all out there. Hoping someone would take it. Yeah.
All right, last week we talked about Congressman Scott Peters and his position in this giant discussion about uh, a major spending bill that was moving its way through Washington, D.C. Andre, this is the biggest spending bill, social safety net as it's called, since the New Deal. This is a really big deal. Child care, uh, they're going to give away, keep giving away the, the $300 per kid per month. They're going to invest in alternative energy sources. It's all about what they call human infrastructure, right? To There's the infrastructure bill going through, and then there's this one, and it's huge. And it's, well, it's getting less huge with every week because in particular, there are two senators who are uh, Joe Manchin from West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema from Arizona who are like whittling it down. They don't want to go along. They need both of them to get on. They're, they're making it smaller and smaller. Well, in the House, Scott Peters was playing that role from San Diego. And he was objecting in particular to that idea that Medicare would get to negotiate drug prices. And if they didn't go along with the drug prices that Medicare set, the drug companies would have to pay up to 95% tax on the drugs that they didn't negotiate on. Got it? So he was opposing that, wanted to stop that, said it would have devastating impacts on San Diego. And, uh, and, and of course, a lot of people threw at him that he was getting a ton of donations from these companies. And it was, it was a big mess. This week, he announced he had a, a deal that the president had accepted a deal where they would negotiate some of the prices uh, and that that would only be for those drugs that have gone past their exclusive time period. So you get like nine years or 12 years uh, after you create a drug to just make as much money off of it as possible. And nobody else can make a generic version of that drug. And they said that in that period, you cannot negotiate the price of those drugs. After that, you can have this negotiation. So he's considering it a win. The president included in his deal. Uh, everybody's very, or that uh, world that he's a part of is very excited about that. So just a little bit of an update about our congressman. No, now, of course, there was a whole world of people who really didn't like that he was doing this at all. Oh. Not just because it was holding up the legislation, but because they disagree with the substance of the of what he wanted to make happen, and those people are not happy about no. this. They they liked the idea of in, you know increasing Medicare's ability to negotiate, and they didn't win. Scott Peters did, and a policy proposal that they dislike is now moving forward. Yes, exactly. So they're not as stoked. So I think that there's uh, kind of two things they brought. There's two areas that are, that matter here. One is the actual cost to the government of these drugs, which can save the government money if they if they save money on the drugs, and that can be used for other spending needs. That's one part. The other part is the literal money that seniors are paying for prescription drugs. So he's touting that they have capped that at $2,000. That's the as much as any person can have to spend per year on prescription drugs out of pocket. So there is a little bit of a, of a, a nod to that. Uh, we'll see, though, how much impact it has. And we still got to see if it actually passes. This is yeah. this is a deal between Democrats. so it, And it's not clear that the Senate has got the 51 votes. There was uh, uh, Congresswoman Sarah Jacobs, Representative Sarah Jacobs, was on MSNBC. She said, well, we trust that the president has the votes he says he has in the Senate. We'll see. It's time for him to do that. It's been a long time. Been been a lot of uh, declared deals and uh, 
preparations to move forward, and uh, we're still here. There is a gala tonight. We're recording on Thursday at the U.S. Grant. There's a gala tonight for the nonprofit group Saved in America. Now, they're supposed to honor a local congressman, Representative Daryl Issa, but he told our reporter, our contributing reporter, J.W. August and Lynn Walsh, and you, that he's not going. Well, he specifically said, we have nothing locally on our calendar that day, <laughs> which nothing, <I> think, yeah. <laughs> like no meetings? You're, <laughs> you're doing nothing? No lunch? Well, you're going to get lunch, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and a uh, few other people have been kind of telling the, the group to take their names down, all these things. So what is Saved in America? Well, here's Saved in America in its own words. Saved in America is a nonprofit organization that assists parents and law enforcement in the recovery of missing and exploited children, all at no charge. Since December 2014, Saved in America has assisted in the investigation and recovery of 88 children from California to Florida. All right, Andy. You guys did a story this week, so our contributors, J.W. August, a longtime local investigative reporter, and Lynn Walsh, both of whom were at NBC7 San Diego for a while, been partners, they did a piece about this organization and that particular claim. So what did they find? Well, so they found, it was the, the story they did for us was largely about all of the very many local officials that are running away from any association with this group ahead of this tonight, uh, the gala this evening. Um, at the same time, or the reason for that is that there's significant questions going on about how much of what this group says about working with law enforcement in the recovery and aid of human or p- victims of, of human trafficking, how much of that is true. Mm-hmm. Um, so for instance, and and the Union Tribune, Jeff McDonald, the Union Tribune has been doing some reporting on this as well. This summer, he, for instance, he did um, a story about how the county of San Diego is looking into whether it can claw back the over a hundred that some of the over one hundred thousand dollars that it gave to the organization in a grant, which it was a came at the behest of former county supervisor Kristen Gaspar, who's a former board member of Saved in America, and when she was on, in county government, she uh, advocated for this this grant money to go to this group. Yeah, just some quick background that each of these supervisors still has a, an ability to hand out, not to the same level they used to unilaterally, but they can hand out these grants basically to local nonprofits, and she had chosen this one. Yeah, it's always worth mentioning that if you are at your local YMCA or something, you might see a county supervisor's name yeah. as the, the benefactor. What that actually means is that money that you paid in taxes went to the county, and then that person got their name on it by making sure that your tax money went to that organization. Yeah, my favorite was one of the community health uh, traveling um, vehicles, and they would have a they have a picture. They had a huge picture of Ron Roberts on the side for a long time. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm I'm all for health, and I made this happen. Yeah. Well, it was our money. So yeah, was, yeah, they should put our faces. Yeah, on, they on the literally all three million of us. Yes. <laughs> So uh, the county's trying to claw some of this money back, and a lot of issues started arising around this operation, 
I'm doing scare quotes there, that the, the organization claimed to have held in Las Vegas in May, um, where they said that they were working in coordination with the Las Vegas Police Department. And what that coordination seems to have amounted to is that they took a list of missing persons that is publicly available to everybody. They printed it out. They scheduled a meeting with somebody in missing persons at the at the Las Vegas Police Department, and they asked if that list was accurate. And then they went out and started looking for those people. And the Las Vegas Police Department says that they were told, if you find any of these people, call 311 or 911, just like anyone else would. Don't do anything on your own. And the Las Vegas Police Department has disavowed the idea that they were part of any sort of coordinated activity or that there was any sort of joint operation or coordination of any kind with this group. Uh, The San Diego Police Department also says that it doesn't have any relationship with this group. San Diego County Sheriff's Office likewise says the same. Um, But that hasn't stopped the group from, for instance, promoting itself for this gala by using a quote from the undersheriff, Kelly Martinez, who's running to be the current sheriff, uh, that sort of praised this group. Now, after the county, uh, the sheriff's department said that they have no relationship with this group and don't work with them, we asked them about that quote, and they said it's inaccurate, and we've told them to take it down. She didn't say that. Yeah, so we have kind of two stories here, right? One is that this group's claims of what it does, and it's based in San Diego? Yes, out of the Valley Center home of Jonathan Travers, the private investigator who started it and whose voice you heard on on the, the introduction. Great. So he's so this local organization, we have one story about whether they're doing the work that they say they are doing and raising money mm-hmm. off of. Mm-hmm. And then the second story is that there are a lot of elected officials and other people who are claim to be either partners or supporters of this group who are saying they are none of that at all. Yeah, precisely. And so and so that's what JW and Lynn tracked down basically. And so, you know, one of the things they got was that Kelly Martinez said, I didn't say that. That's inaccurate. Now you actually, Andrea, actually found where the source of that quote came from, right? Yeah, I did some hardcore reporting, copy and pasted, <laughs> put it in my search bar. Um yeah, it came from uh, some like website, but it was essentially a press release from the group that some news website had reposted had or reprinted yeah. in full, basically. Yeah. Um, and that was the quote that she kind of gave, but there was more to the quote than just that. And then the press release was also really confusing about like, what does this group actually do? Because it feels like they do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, what does it do? Uh, seems like they. Pull a list of missing persons. They go to areas where they they have this RV, which was purchased in part with the hundred thousand grant money that we provided them. Is Kristen Gaspar still on the soup on the no, on the board? Former board member. Oh, okay. And they drive around looking for these missing persons. The result of the Las Vegas operation. And I know this because they in like their fundraising materials they have a debrief on the operation. So the. They coordinated this meeting with the Las Vegas Police Department. Then they went out looking for people, and they didn't find anyone, and then that was the mission. Okay. So they went out in an RV with a list of names, and then that was that. That was the end of that operation. You can see how it like it, it's an effective 
message for a nonprofit, right? They, they talk about how they have former military, Navy SEALs, former team police, of heroes, police officers who the idea being that like they're going to augment, if not replace the ability of actual law enforcement officers to go and track these, these uh, both uh, traffickers and the victims down and try to save these, these women in most in particular women. And, and so you can see how that would, that would rile some folks up. They'd be into that, but, but we still don't actually know they did any of that. Yeah. No. And the, and the law enforcement agencies that have been roped into this narrative are all saying we are not coordinating with them. And we have instructed them that they should call us if they, if they ever happen to find any of these people, they should call us and let us do it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's basically it. Also, his name is Joseph Travers, not Jonathan Travers. Just correct myself from a little bit back. Um, but so the other people who sort of distanced themselves from this group this week, uh, Jack McGorry, who uh, was the former city manager of C- city of San Diego. Uh, he said that he will not be going to the event, although he said that that is uh, for a family matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did say also that he heard some troubling things about the group after having donated $10,000 to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daryl Issa was set to receive this award. He has said that he's not going. And then there's a handful of groups that uh, after they were approached by J.W. August and Lynn Walsh about being listed as supporters on the group's materials, responded that they are not supporters of the group and that they have asked to have their names removed from all of the materials around it. It's still a pretty big, as far as network of people most of whom seem to be on the conservative side of things in San Diego. Mark Larson, the former radio host, talk show host, and now he's with KOSI, right? He's the MC. He's the MC of the event. And the, I mean, the group had like a very large presence at a recent Trump boat rally here in San Diego. Um, Aubrey Huff, the Trumpist uh, reactionary Twitter personality who uh, played baseball at one point in his life. Um, he is scheduled to attend this event, so it's it's certainly a it's a it's a conservative group, mm-hmm. I think, by any rational definition. What I wouldn't give to go to that gala tonight and <laughs> see what's going on. Well, I don't even. I can't. I mean, you described like not being able to understand exactly what they're describing that they did in the press release. Yeah, it's like, um, it was something like a mention of a certain number of teenagers that had escaped. But it doesn't say we found them, we helped them, we talked to them. It just says like a number of teenagers that escaped, yeah, you know, in our operation. And it's a very strong language, which I think the message is very strong. But then you're kind of like, wait, what did you do? So it's like a, a lot of hand wavy things. You see this in nonprofit space a lot, by the way, like people that tell a good story and then hand wave past what their actual role in that was. Well, yeah, all of the... All of the materials I came across in, you know, editing this story, I had the same impression that Andrea is describing here, which is a lot of like quasi-military or law enforcement sounding language and some evasive bureaucraties in like 200 words that if you just breeze through it, you think they've just described something that they've done. But if you go back and comb through it carefully... You realize that there's no assertion of any accomplishment in it at all, but but if you're you know if you're not paying close attention, you're like, oh okay, they they did something here. But it, 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 the 
overwhelming majority of the material, uh, at least describing this Las Vegas operation, was very hand wavy around whether they had done anything at all. Have they gotten more government grants, or was that the only one we know about from before? Uh, that's the only one that I know about, at least. They have they raise a lot of money from these galas. These mm-hmm. galas and fundraisers are a big part of what they do. And at these galas and fundraisers, they they talk about what has happened at the most recent operation. Mm-hmm. There, there's this sort of back and forth between them. And a lot of their press releases are refer back to the operations. So the operations are themselves fundraising vehicles and they they you know they have appeals where they say we just did this big thing in Las Ve- Las Vegas please you know help us cover the $15,000 we spent out there. Uh which you know again it's not exactly clear how they spent $15,000. Well and, and when a when a woman's life is at stake you can see like well I need like $15,000 it's it's totally worth it. Like, yeah. Right. The, Right. Yeah, the tickets are two hundred and fifty per person, or a table of ten for two thousand five hundred dollars, which is the same as two hundred fifty a person. Yeah, it's not a not a deal. <laughs> no de- no <Damn>. discount there. <laughs> All right, so you check that out, voicesandiego.org. That was a nice uh, submission from uh, J.W. August and uh, Lynn Walsh. Uh, again, check it out and let us know if you hear more. So our amazing environment reporter, Mackenzie Elmer, uh, had a really interesting story this week about a certain policy from the county's air pollution regulator that has basically allowed um, industries to emit a certain amount of cancer-causing toxins into our air for a long time. I mean, a long time. So the main thing in her story is that industries basically have to mail out this letter and let residents know like, hey, you might have been exposed to something that could give you cancer. (laughs) And that's about it. Um, So she reported that the San Diego Air Pollution Control District, which feels like a mouthful to say, um, are looking to change that and establish some kind of new guidelines. So I spoke with Mackenzie earlier today and here's what she had to say. So, Mackenzie, can you kind of walk our listeners through some of what's allowed right now? Yeah, so the San Diego Air Pollution Control District has been operating on the same rules uh, for toxic air pollutants that it's had since the late 90s when these rules went into place. Right now, uh, San Diego Industries can emit pretty high-level pollutants. It's actually the upper limit of what the EPA allows as well, but most of California Uh, has a lot stricter rules than the EPA. So San Diego basically permits pollution that potentially could cause cancer in a risk level of 101 million people. Wow. So the way to think about it is um, very, very roughly, if 1 million people were exposed to the exact same level of toxic air pollution for over 30 years, 100 of those people would likely get cancer. However, this is all, we're talking statistics, so people obviously don't, 1 million people don't live right next to, uh, a, you know, NASCO, the shipbuilding site. They're all spread out, right? So it depends on where you live, weather patterns, wind can shift air toxins around. So this risk level is really just a way to talk about and kind of set policy. Mm-hmm. And, and what do um, these industries have to do if they reach that level? 
Well, so that's that's the kicker right now that uh, none of the industries in San Diego County, as, as far as the district has told me, have ever even polluted enough to breach that mm-hmm. high toxin level. The, that 101 million cancer risk would trigger industries or would essentially uh, require them to do something to their operations to clean up, whether that's you know, it's typically called adding best available technology. So, for instance, if you have a diesel crane, it runs on a diesel is a causes a lot of heavy air pollutants that cause asthma and other problems health wise. So maybe updating those cranes to run on electricity, which wouldn't emit that kind of air pollution. Of course, those are all costs to industries. And part of the reason why industries are pushing back on this kind of a requirement Right. So that would cause some of these industries to kind of invest in in something to address those issues. Yeah. And I tried to contact some of these industries that had already filed letters with the district asking them to slow down the process to study the costs of changing such a air pollution level uh, would be for them. But I wasn't able to get in touch with any of them. None of of them called me back. Uh, But conceivably, you know, having to reduce uh, their air pollution perhaps tenfold would would be a significant cost to them. Right. And and what are these industries, I guess? I mean, you mentioned NASCO, but what are some of these industries? They're kind of scattered throughout the city. Uh, we put a map together that's linked in the story if anybody wants to take a look and see how close they live to some of these, these industries. But things like shipbuilding, obviously, so there's a lot concentrated around the port, There's a lot of landfills, actually, that have uh, apparently cancer-causing emissions. Things that deal with concrete or other types of, like, plating or metal-working businesses often do as well. Those are the kinds of things that we're talking about. Yeah. So so one thing you mentioned that the district said that no industry here in San Diego has ever reached that threshold that, that they have right now. Is that good? Is that bad? <laughs> yeah, right. And that's something I kind of tried to explain in the story. So it sounds like it would be good, right? That we don't right. have any industries emitting so much pollution that they're breaching this high level of, of cancer causing pollutants and have to change. But that just means that the policy is uh, set too high, meaning that you know these industries can pollute up to this really high level. But that means that we're being exposed as San Diegans to all different kinds of concentrations of pollutants at any given time. So again, the district is proposing to lower that 101 million cancer risk level to 10 in 1 million chance of catching cancer, which means it's a tenfold you know, reduction. And already we know that at least seven pretty big industries in San Diego would have to make some significant changes to bring down their emissions. So so you mentioned briefly uh, kind of what the district wants to do, right? So what exactly does the San Diego Air Pollution Control District, oh my God, that's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, what exactly do they want to change? What would this change do? So they want to make changes to what's called Rule 1210, which is a policy that each California Regional Air District, and there's about 35 of them, they sort of take the state standards set by the California Air Resources Board and apply their own local interpretations of those rules. So there's some leeway to set more stringent air pollution standards. Um, And I compared in the story, uh, you know, San Diego's 
allowable cancer risk is higher than even the South Coast Air District, which includes the busy, busy port of Long Beach, which mm-hmm. has a lot of, you know, you would imagine dirtier industries as well. Um, so what they essentially have to do and what they're actually doing today, uh, Thursday afternoon, is proposing this rule before the district, and then the board's going to discuss and take a vote on whether they want to basically lower that limit, which would trigger those industries, I think, potentially when they have to do their next emissions inventory. They do this every four years. They submit you know, all the pollutants that they're emitting to the district. Then the district would give them a five-year window to make changes to their operations in the hopes that the next time around they do their emissions inventory, when they take a look at all the things that they're polluting with, um, that those levels will be lower. And so there's just more, I guess, checks and balances on the process for these industries that normally would just have to submit an emissions inventory every four years and basically get a pass and not have to really do anything. But one thing that they do have to do right now, even before this vote that we're waiting on Thursday, is send out these letters to residents. And you spoke with a, res- a resident in, in that area. So can you tell us a little bit about those yes, <laughs> letters? Yes, right. Um, that is one thing they do have to do. I, we talked about the cancer risk level of 100 and a million, and that would actually be the only thing that would trigger making actual changes to the business to clean it up. But as it stands right now, the rules also say that if a business emits pollution that could cause cancer 10 in 1 million, they have to send letters out to basically a certain radius of people that live with it, uh, near the industry. So I talked with uh, Pablo Castaneda, and he lives in Barrio Logan, a couple blocks from the NASCO shipbuilding industry. And he didn't remember getting a letter from NASCO, which they did send out in December of 2020. But um, I had him read through a copy, and he made a really good point um, that, you know, he read this letter and just kind of thought out loud, like, what are they trying to say? What are industries trying to say with these letters? They're just giving us information and basically putting it on us to decide whether we want to continue to live in this high, highly polluted atmosphere. Right which is not an option for a lot of people. No. And I think we discovered in our conversation that I actually live in <laughs> that yes, radius. Yes, you do. <laughs> I didn't get a letter, or at least I don't remember getting a letter. Right. And I know, I mean, it would if anybody did get a letter, I'd be very interested in speaking with them if they want to reach out to me, but um that is primarily the only thing that these industries have to do at the moment. So, they are voting on this later today, but we're recording this early on Thursday, so we'll see what happens. But uh, do you think these industries, which are obviously very influential and giants, uh, they bring a lot of jobs, do you think they'll have any sway on what happens today? I don't know. We'll see because this is the first probably really big decision that the newly expanded Air Pollution Control District will um, make is this decision today. And um, because prior to this expanded board, it's sort of a new board with lots of different people, city council members, uh, members of the public with expertise in public health. Before, the board was run by the County Board of Supervisors, and there wasn't a lot of movement um, in this area. And so we're going to kind of get a fresh look at how these this new board is going to vote. Um, but it, it could be tough because, you know, even the U.S. Navy, obviously one of San Diego's biggest 
mm-hmm. um, reasons for being, uh, also submitted a letter and th- said that basically changing these rules could threaten national security. And I would love to have a conversation with the Navy about what that actually means. Yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> but, um, you know, these are, you know, to give industries credit, these are probably some costly changes, especially if you're maybe a small concrete business and you do emit a lot of pollutants. Like, you might have to make some pretty costly changes that could affect your, you know, bottom line. So um, I think that just remains to be seen. Yeah, it's definitely a difficult uh, conversation and difficult questions because while, you know, your understanding of the fact that this is a probably going to be costly for these industries that offer a lot of jobs, sometimes even from people who live in those communities, um, you know, what's the cost of someone's life mm-hmm. is also a, a really difficult question. And the district does actually calculate specifically the risk to workers in those industries and because they're the ones working day in and day out right next to the air pollution. So they also face a higher um, cancer risk than maybe a resident who lives a couple blocks away out of the out of wind shot from the business. So another thing to consider. Yeah. Well, uh, definitely check out Mackenzie's story on voiceofsandiego.org and uh, play around with with the map that we put in there so you can see if you live nearby any of these industries. Cool. Thanks for talking with me. You can see Mackenzie's latest stories and keep up with all of her environmental coverage with the Environment Report. You can subscribe to that at vosd.org slash environment. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the perennial, most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego. Let's go for it. Be sure to check out the newest episode of San Diego 101 dedicated to redistricting. It's in your feed now. In this episode, our hosts go back in time to 2011 to talk about what happened during that last round of redistricting and how it shaped San Diego and how the new one will go forward from here. It's in your feed now, and you can see more at VOSD.org slash 101 podcast. That's VOSD.org slash 101 podcast. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief. At Voice San Diego, Andrew Keats and Andrea Lopez Villafaña are our managing editors. This show is produced by Nate John, Adriana Heldes, and Megan Wood. Our technician is back, Adam Greenfield. Welcome, and thank you, and thanks for listening. We will talk to you next week.